Welcome to another episode of The Postcast. My name is Sean Fairholm, and I'm here with my co-host, Cassie Stein. Today we have John Steinbrader on the show once again, talk about some of his travel adventures in the past little while. He's gone to Wisconsin, he's gone to Sylvie's Valley in Oregon, uh, so we're very excited to uh, talk to him a little bit about that. Also, his long-form piece, it's on globalgolfpost.com, you can catch it right now talking about ar- architects and all the great work that they do going to some of the remote, remote places on Earth. So uh, listen to our conversation right now with John Steinbrader. And now we welcome back to the postcast, John Steinbrader. How are you, Steiny? Um, great. Thanks so much. Good to be with you guys. Cool. Let's jump right into it. You've been on a lot of trips sure. recently. Why don't you just give us a little recap of where you've been, where you traveled to? Well, I was out in, um, gosh, going back a while ago in May, late May, I was at a Kohler, which was wonderful fun. They're celebrating a bunch of anniversaries there this summer, the 100th anniversary of the American Club Hotel, which was initially a worker's dormitory that opened in 1918. Uh, it's the 30th anniversary of, um, uh, of uh, Black Wolf Run. The 20th anniversary of the opening of Whistling Straits, and also the 20th anniversary of the playing of the first major championship at a, the, the U.S. Women's Open at Black Wolf Run in, in 1998, which was kind of fun about that, is that uh, tournament uh, transpired, was supposed to end Sunday before the opening in the official opening of the Straits course, which was that Monday, but there was a playoff of the championship, so they had to get the playoff done first on that Monday before they could open up uh, the Straits officially. So that was uh, that was a great trip and uh, a great trip in May. Then I was out in Sylvie's Valley in eastern Oregon and in July over in uh, Belgium and Holland. Uh, later on in July, I planned a bunch of new, uh, not new, but new for me, uh, Harry S. Colt and Tom Simpson courses uh, in the Low Countries area, which were just spectacular. And and now back home and doing a lot of writing and, and like a lot of people coming off that great high that we had at the PGA Championship and, uh, and that wonderful tournament. Definitely. If we can go back to Wisconsin for a second, you really wrote a great travel piece on uh, on Kohler and everything that it, it has to offer. Um, talk about Whistling Straits. They've hosted some pretty major uh, events recently, 2015 PGA, and they, they've got some good ones in the docket coming up coming up uh, in the next few years here. What is your assessment of, of that golf course? And obviously Black Wolf Run is another, another great one that's uh, in the area there. I love the strip. Straits course, you know, Whistling Straits as an entity is two courses. It's Straits course and the Irish, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with the Irish. It's you know, it's to me, it's a B, you know, as far as that goes. But the Straits course is an A plus. It's one of, it may be my favorite course that Pete Dye ever designed. It's uh, completely manufactured. It was built in what was an old, you know, airfield years ago, Lake Michigan. So it was very flat terrain. Obviously, as you would want for an airfield. And Pete moved a ton of, uh, of earth and, and really created a, a very link style, uh, scenic, difficult, uh, yet fun uh, golf course right there in the water that is a terrific test of golf for championship golfers. But with all the different tees it has, it's a hell of a lot of fun for you know a, a mid-single-digit handicap like myself and, and golfers with higher handicaps as well, provided you play for from the right tees which is mm-hmm. key but i mean you know, lots of uh, holes on the water it's got perhaps the best collection of par threes i've ever seen in one uh, golf course uh in varying lengths one of them you use a wedge another one you use a three wood and uh everything 
everything in between. And, and, uh, I think water comes into, you're literally on the water in the 14 different holes, I believe, uh, it, that's, uh, my memory serves. And it's just a wonderful golf course to play a lot of run up shots, a lot of wind to contend with incredible scenery. And so I played there, which was fantastic. And that's probably my 15th round over the years at, at the straights course. And I like it more and more each time. And, I like everything about that resort. I mean, there are four courses there, the American Club, which is the old workers' dormitory that uh, Herb Kohler transformed um, in the early uh, 1980s into a um, into a hotel. It's as good a hotel as you'll find in America. And uh, the, the whole experience here is just fantastic. So it was great to be back there. You know, it's a real small-town American in a lot of ways, and it's, and it's great to see it celebrating so many anniversaries of course and in a couple of years it'll be the host of the Ryder cup in 2020 and for uh, herb who's a friend of mine and his wife natalie black i mean this has been uh something that's been on the docket for a decade almost it's something they've been dreaming about and i think it's going to be incredibly exciting when it finally takes place here uh for them as being such good people and such great advocates of the game of golf but also for that resort and that golf course uh which has never really had a match play event quite there and uh i'm, I'm really uh i'm excited to see how it holds up and uh what kind of a venue it, it, it turns out to be for those uh those great golfers yeah that Ryder cup's going to be pretty special mm -hmm. up there um so you mentioned texas you mentioned you mentioned wisconsin what are some of the differences between what you find at kohler and where you were in texas uh well actually sylvie's is out in eastern oregon um and, uh, you, you know, in Texas, I was down there kind of totally on vacation with no golf clubs at all, but, uh, what would seem like vacation. We don't take vacations anymore. So I'm still working on a bunch, but what, what's so different about Kohler to me is you've got, uh, of most places, if you've got sort of the best of all worlds here, you've got at the Straits length style water edge golf. And then at the Black Wolf run, you've got, uh, inland golf woods, very much a parkland style course with a lot of as you would with anything for Pete Dye, a lot of links, links he features to it because he um, he learned so much about his design uh, from trips to the British Isles, and uh, uh, but but the presence of water there in color is so great. The variety is what I like so much because you have four courses and really four um, you know different style of golf in certain ways and in different ways to enjoy the property. Uh, where I was in Oregon at Sylvie's Valley, it's a kind of high desert country four or five five six thousand feet uh ranch land it's about three hours east of i mean west of boise and about two hours east of uh bend oregon and there's just these beautiful salt wet metals they call them in a lot of these uh, areas and then the scrubby sage brushy hills and uh good wind altitude helps a little bit with your distance on the golf ball and what was so cool there is this guy dan hickson who's a Pacific Northwest-based um, architect, has built a, 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 a reversible, well, or two reversible golf courses. I'm not quite sure the proper way to describe it. What he has is basically two separate 18-hole golf courses. There are 27 greens, and uh, so you have, um, you're sharing some greens from day to day, but there's one of the courses will be open one day, the next course will be open the other day. And it's a really cool design in terms of how he he sorted out how to do this. It, it, it sort of is an efficient use of land and of resources like water and whatnot when you have fewer fairways. 
fairways and fewer greens in your standard 36 holes, but a very, very good golf course. And and, and, and on a ranch, 140,000-acre cow and goat ranch out in eastern Oregon, so it's a completely different feel in the sense, you know, colder, you're on the water, then you're also in farm country, you know, Wisconsin farm country, a lot of Holsteins, a lot of cheese, a lot of milk cows, a lot of, and then you get out here and it's a much scrubbier, uh, more deserty sort of a place, although you do have these wet meadows and a higher altitude and there are cattle and goats in the background and and it's it's got a real ranch environment to it, so you feel like you are in the ranch country in the, uh, in the Wild West and it's contrast and um and really good golf now they're never going to hold a major championship out at sylvie's valley but boy it's a great place to go play golf really interesting golf and the same token for people it's a wonderful getaway to to experience the west and get a sense of what the wild west what they call frontier oregon is all about it when you're out there just it feels like you have stepped back into time 100 years Speaking of some wild and uh, beautiful and sometimes remote destinations, uh, we want to talk about your long-form piece a little bit, uh, speaking about some of the architects that encounter building courses in some of the remote areas of the world. Um, how did you put this piece together, uh, speaking with some of the designers and, and some of the places they've been, some of the, some of the encounters that they've had? Well, I've gotten to know over the years, I've written a lot about architects architectures you know and through my travels and, and gotten to know a lot of these guys and uh, i find you know there's so much to admire about golf course architects and designers in terms of uh you know taking this very raw rugged land and crafting these beautiful golf courses i mean there's something you look at that and whether you look at it old timers like mckenzie and and tilling hast and seth rayner and, and charles blair mcdonald and the modern greats like a Gil Hans or a Bill Corn, Ben Crenshaw, or a, a, a Tom Delk or David McClay Kid, and or Jim Urbina, and seeing what you know how they're able to craft something on this uh, on, on these sites is pretty amazing. But what I always found even more interesting is what it was like for these uh, guys because you know they're showing up in places where there's no cell service, there's no running water, there's no uh, um, you know, modern uh, uh, facilities uh, for showers and bathrooms. It just, it, it's tough. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere oftentimes, especially now that we have are building more and more courses in remote, faraway places, kind of, kind of following the lead of what Mike Kaiser did at uh, Bannon's and and going farther afield to get the great land and the great property that can, that can help uh, create the great golf courses. And just in having these conversations with these guys over beers and drinks over the years it just seemed like what a great story to talk about what are they like on these trips and to recount some of the tales that they've told me you know in bars all over the world about uh, what it was like uh, when that eight-foot snake chased them down a path or you know when they um, lived in a place and, and watched you know drug smugglers haul all bales of uh the contraband out to larger ships in, in Mexico or what it was like being in Morocco during the uh, festival of the sacrifice uh, and seeing people walking around the uh, Medina and the old cities with nice and, uh, and and everybody killing a sheep sort of in honor of, of uh, Abraham um, and, and God and, and the old Bible story, which is also a big story in the Muslim world about uh, Abraham being asked by God to sacrifice his son and then and, and then Abraham being ready to do so, and then God at the last minute saying, no, uh, why don't you sacrifice a sheep instead because you've proven your devotion to 
me. So we introduced these wild stories, which is what makes travel so interesting to me. And we just took it to the point of, of getting into uh, the lives of these architects and designers. And more importantly, not just the main big name designers, but also the shapers and the, and the people that helped build these courses. And I had a lot of fun doing it. It's, it's still on our homepage. I hope it will be there for a while. And it's just called Tales from the Design Trail. And that's exactly what it is. Obviously, you just mentioned a bunch of different stories and, you know, there's no cell service, running water, drug smugglers. There's just like crazy stuff going on. But why do these architects keep going back to these remote places knowing what they're, you know, they're going to get into, basically? What's so great about the land or what's so great about these locations that they keep going back to them? Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, the bottom line is these people adore the game of golf, as we all I'll do and I think that's that's the thing that, that, that drives them to it. Uh, also, the opportunity to create great golf courses and and and, and to craft uh, layouts. I mean, these people are by and large artists, and um, and that's you know a calling they feel as we all feel calling to our writing or or, or whatever. And where their opportunity is so great right now, and this started in the you know, you know, in the mid eighties with Sand Hills and Nebraska and Dick Young's cap and, and then Mike Kaiser and Bandon Dune shortly thereafter and you know, and going to places like Tasmania and, and Nova Scotia and Wild of New Zealand and people determining or learning that if you build a great golf course, people will come to it. Therefore you don't have to just build your courses near population centers. You can go out and seek out the best possible land land that is primarily sand based because that is conducive to drainage and also to growing really good grass and and land with lots of contour and 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 interesting shapes and elevations and forms to it so i think the combination of all those things passion for the game of golf passion for building golf courses and now these opportunities where it's proved to be both uh, economically viable and i think um you know, just from a uh, logistical standpoint to get to these far places and, and have the opportunity to work on just extraordinary pieces of property. Um, th- that's the draw for these, these guys. And it's a small fraternity. And, and many of these folks have worked together, these shapers, they'll work for, you know, Gil Hans for a while, they'll work for Tom Doak for a while. And they're all down by the same love of the game and, and this just this thirst and passion for being able to go to a place that has got that land, has got that sand based soil, and they can uh, they can go to town and really create something special. And they continue to do it, whether it's in Wisconsin, whether it's in New Zealand, uh, whether it's in Morocco. Um, they're finding more and more that these places, um, there are many of these places around, and these projects are being um, uh, being organized, and they can really come up with some great stuff. Simon, before we let you go, I kind of had a uh, out-of-the-blue question for you. There was a lot of talk this past week about Belarive, and obviously that's a uh, Robert Trent Jones course. Uh, a lot of negative talk about how it's um, target golf, and it's uh, very penal and uh, has been remodeled several times in order to protect the concept of par. Uh, a lot of chatter about how it wasn't really a great design. Um Reading your piece in the pre- the preview issue, it seemed like you you may have a, a different uh, perspective on that. Uh, what is your take on Belle Reve and uh, in the in the concept of uh, uh, target golf versus uh, golf that gives players a little bit more uh, more options off the tee? 
I'm a big fan just in general of, of link style golf. I love old world golf. I love the ground game. I, um, I love, you know, the different angles. I love courses that aren't just straightforward. And uh, I'm not a big fan of the long runway tees of Trent John senior, uh, like to build and, and whatnot. But having said that, you know, looking at a venue for a major championship, I mean, you know, what happened this past week at Bell Reef, the course held up very nicely. Uh, you know, the best player in the world right now won it. Um, a lot of the best players in the world can be him close to win it, including Tiger Woods. Uh, I think it did its job. Yeah. I think it did its job. Now, you know, scores were a little low because you have the Joyza uh, grass in the fairways, and that sits up nicely and allows them to really put impart spin on the ball so they can really attack the pins. And the heat and humidity and the wetness from the rains made the greens very, very receptive. So it's quite different from playing in an open championship where distance control is there's such a greater premium on it. Now, do I prefer a British Open course to a Bell Reef type of a course, both in terms of viewing and playing? Absolutely. But I think Bell Reef more than held up nicely this past week. Yeah. It was a very new for that championship. So I, I've got no issues with it whatsoever uh it's not my favorite style of golf course but i, I think what we saw there and, and 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 the great play it induced and the people who won and were in the top 10 or 20 of the leaderboard it I, I think it did its job i mean how do you argue against something where you've got like i said the hottest golf on the planet right now winning in it and so many people uh, of, of great quality coming in close and, and being very close to winning it themselves yeah, I think it's hard to argue that it, it uh, did not do its job. It, it absolutely did, and uh, we got a great championship out of it. Uh, Steiny, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Well, it was good being with you guys. Take care now.